Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are actually going to be finishing our series on the Song of Solomon today. It has been a it has been an in- interesting journey through this book, and we will be wrapping up today, doing all of chapter 8. I was unable to record last week due to some unforeseen circumstances on concerning the equipment I was using. Technology is great when it works, but uh, kicking off with chapter 8, verse 1. If only I could treat you like my brother, one who nursed at my mother's breasts. I would find you in public and kiss you, and no one could... Sp- no one would scorn me. I would lead you. I would take you to the house of my mother who taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink for the juice, from the juice of my pomegranate. May his left hand be under his head, and his right arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? I awakened you under the apricot tree. There your mother conceived you. There she conceived and gave you birth. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. Our sister is young, she has no breasts. What will we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build a silver barricade on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedar planks. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. So to him I have become like one who finds peace. Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for his fruit one thousand pieces of silver. I have my own vineyard. The one thousand are for you, Solomon, but two hundred for those who take care of its fruits. You who dwell in the gardens, companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. Run away with me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young young stag on the mountains of spices. So, we've got a little bit to cover here. A little bit of ground to cover. Starting off with the words of Shulamite, of the woman. 
If only I could treat you like my brother, one who nursed at my mother's breasts. I would find you in public and kiss you, and no one would scorn me. That is a, another of many examples of lines in the Song of Solomon that we modern people find weird. <clears throat> that that sounds almost like something that might be illegal in our context today. I don't believe that's what is being pictured here, but rather this is a picture of familiarity, of wanting to be as familiar with the bridegroom, who is Christ, as with family. <clears throat> to be as familiar with Christ as though he were our brother. Verse 2, I would lead you, I would take you, that, that's very significant because generally we read about the man leading the woman. Not just in Song of Solomon, but in general. We, we, we read in Ephesians 5 a couple weeks ago that the, the husband is the head of the household and that wives submit to their husbands. And here we have the woman leading the man. <clears throat> Which is a picture of the way Christ deals with us. That he goes with us. in a way that only he does, only he can. He's, this, this is the kind of heart that Christ has for you, for me, that he goes with us. He says, I would, I would lead you, I would take you to the house of my mother who taught me. I would give you spice wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranate. Other translations, older translations, will put that as to the house of my mother, to the chamber where I was conceived, essentially. And again, that sounds weird. But if we look at that with the typology, we've talked about the layers and the way the events of the Old Testament point us back to the things of Christ. How they point ahead to what we see in the New Testament. So if we go to Genesis 24. <clears throat> Gen Genesis 24, verse 67. Sorry, I got lost for a second. And Isaac brought her, Rebekah, into the tent of his mother Sarah, and took Rebekah to be his wife. Isaac loved her, and was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac, the son of promise, the son who was offered up for sacrifice on Mount Moriah, was brought his wife into the tent where he was conceived, and knew her. Likewise, Christ, the perfect sacrifice, who is delivered up by his Father on Mount Calvary, meets us where we are. He meets us in the sinful places that we dwell. He meets us in our dirt. He meets us in our filth. And not like he puts on um, gloves and he doesn't want to get things dirty. He plunges deep into our good and our bad. 
I think it was St. Augustine that said, everything good is, is from you, God, and everything else is my fault. <clears throat> but this, this picture of the Shulamite is a picture of leading Christ into our natural environment, of being united with Christ where we are. Because God meets with us where we are. So verse 3, May his left hand be under my head, and his right arm embrace me. And that is verbatim what we read in Song of Solomon chapter 2. That this is, a lot of this is language that's being recycled. This is language we've seen repeated through the song, and it's it's coming full circle now. That we're seeing the, the culmination of these things. The next line is, Young woman of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the fields of the fields. In chapter 2. Chapter 8, Young woman of Jerusalem, I charge you. And they omit the animals. They go straight into, Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. I think the King James says, Appointed time. And we looked at that in light of Christ being likened as a is a delicate animal that is easily disturbed as a picture of judgment, as a picture of his coming as judge, as conquering king. <clears throat> and not to stir up Christ, to to provoke him, as it says in First Kings. First Kings uses that phrase a lot. You have provoked me to wrath. You have provo provoked me in your sin. Do not Likewise, do not stir up love until the appropriate time because we are looking at Christ bringing us near. And there is a time when he does so. There is an appropriate time when all of our, all of our failings, all of our bouts of disobedience, all of our attempts to be self-sufficient, to not submit to Christ who is the head, at the end of the day, we will be brought near. Verse 5, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? Who is this, say the young women, coming out of the wilderness? Moses led the Israelites out of the wilderness. As the scriptures tell us, as God commanded him to lead them out of Israel. But it was God who brought them out of Israel with a strong arm, with a mighty hand. But here, we have a picture of Shulamite coming out of the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves. A state of dependence on the one she loves. <coughs> and it also points us to the book of Hosea, which is another picture of God and his bride. But unlike Song of Solomon, which is very pure, very, very communion-oriented, Hosea is centered around the reality that the bride has broken a covenant. That there is a divorce case, essentially, that is being heard from God. And you have played the harlot with me. Nonetheless, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger hath turned from them. <laughs> Hebrews, and, I'm sorry, Hosea, Hosea 11.1 reads, when Israel was a child, I loved him, 
and out of Egypt have I called my son. And on one level, that works as a picture of the church, that we are called out of Egypt, out of the wilderness, into the fold of God. But likewise, Christ was beckoned out of Egypt to, to Israel. Why? To accomplish the redemption of souls. It is on this Christ that we must lean. I awaked you under the apricot tree. There your mother conceived you. There she conceived and gave you birth. <clears throat> again, we have this, this garden language. We keep seeing it time and time again with an apricot tree. With being together under a tree. Because the first marriage was forever changed negatively by a tree. But we are restored under a figurative tree. <coughs> and that was purchased for us on a literal tree. On Calvary. We were our redemption, our reunion with God was purchased at the cross. So what does the the Shulamite say in light of this? Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. And when we say seal, we're not talking the animal, we're, we're not talking anything modern. We're talking about like the wax seal on a scroll as something that binds it shut, something that is, a signifi is significant, something that signifies the status of the holder. Top secret for admiral's eyes only. <clears throat> and we see this again in the book of Haggai. One of the minor prophets, we call it, because it's so small. But the book of Haggai reads in chapter 2, verse 23, On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. We see this again in back in verse 6. Once in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. Says the Lord of armies, the silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. That's the context behind this promise of, I will set you like a signet ring. I will set you as a visible sign of my relationship to my people. <clears throat> and of course, Zerubbabel is a what we call a type or a stand-in for Christ. That Christ is the tangible testimony of what God has done when God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory <coughs> so likewise the Shulamite desires to be set as a seal 
on his heart and on his arm as something internal and external. Why? For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is the love of God in Christ. <clears throat> that is as strong as death, that overcomes the grave. For our God, says Deuteronomy, is a consuming fire. You can't restrain this. You can't hinder him. God is God. <clears throat> you cannot sweep it away. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for that pearl of great price, it would be utterly scorned. It would be almost offensive to the object he's seeking to obtain. Do you think you could buy the love of God with money? And so the picture of the love of Christ, <coughs> as we come to the end of this book, is that you can't buy this. You can't. You can't buy this. You can't earn this. This is something that is given by a God who is a consuming fire by a God who met with Moses in darkness. <clears throat> a God who is knowable, but also hidden from us. A God who we're called to love and to fear. And a God who is all those things simultaneously. And he doesn't cease to be any of that when he takes on human flesh dwells among us lives a perfect life that you and I could never live and dies in the place of sinners intentionally <clears throat> and so if you or I or the richest man in the world were to give all of our wealth for this love to give all the wealth of our house as the Hebrew literally says <coughs> it would be utterly scorned it would be an offense to what God has freely given for it's the thing that we could buy it because it is so priceless it is so incredibly valuable you can't put a price on it and now we change speakers here something we have not seen yet and we go to other males other masculine turns but this is not Christ this is the brothers from chapter 1 our sister is young she has no breasts what will we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for if she is a wall, we will build her. We will build a silver barricade on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedar planks. So if we flip back to chapter 1, <coughs> this is another piece that comes full circle. Do not stare at me 
because I am dark, for the sun has gazed at me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me take care of the vineyards. I've not taken care of my own vineyard. <clears throat> but here we have the brother's side of what Shulamite did not yet understand. If she is a wall, we will build a barricade on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with cedar planks. We will reinforce her. We will provide protection. It says in Hosea, chapter 2, in reference to the promiscuous Israel that, that leaves, that no matter how many times God is good, God is good to them, they leave. They they go they go astray. And this is modeled for them by the prophet Hosea marrying a harlot. In verse six of chapter two, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall, so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. <clears throat> there are times where God has to get in our own way. There are times where God makes things very difficult for us to rebel. When the thing that prevents us from rebelling against God is God. When he builds a barricade, when he encloses us with cedar planks, when he walls our way with thorns. So we cannot find our paths. Because then we are tempted to go back to the God to whom we have been estranged. And I think that is what is being portrayed here through the brothers. And in verse 10, the woman seems to realize the purpose behind what she initially thought was mistreatment. I am a wall, and my breasts like towers. That's a picture of maturity. Physical maturity implying something spiritually, I, I would say. So, to him, I have become like one who finds peace. The towers, I think, imply stability that comes with physical maturity. To literal growth, there is stability, not just physically, but internally. As I have become like towers, so to him, the man, I have become like one who finds peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, and that is interesting Hebrew because it's the Shulamite and it's the song of Shlomo of Solomon these are all very similar words Solomon, Shulamite Shalom, these all come to peace, different versions of peace um, Solomon comes from the word Shalom, scholars believe he is a king of peace and in that way, he typifies Christ 
the perfect king of perfect peace. <clears throat> Shulamite is essentially the feminized version of the word where we get Solomon. And they both come from Shalom. So it's all starting to come full circle here. Ultimately, the Old Testament is coming full circle in the Song of Solomon. We have become like one who finds peace as we are brought into the fold of God. <coughs> Solomon, verse 11, owned a vineyard in Baal, in Baal Hamon. He leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring to his fruit 1,000 pieces of silver. Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 4, reads, I increased my achievements. I built houses, and I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself, for which to irrigate a grove of flourished trees. I acquired servants and had slaves who were born in the house. I owned livestock, large herds, and flocks more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself, and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jer Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be hevel, to be vapor, and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the first reference to Solomon by name in this entire book. And this is one of the reasons I believe it is not about Solomon. Because he doesn't come in until the end of the book. And I think he's used here as a picture. As a, I guess you could say, as a, as a metaphor. <coughs> Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Hamon. Solomon had many vineyards. Solomon accumulated a lot of material wealth in his kingship. At his, at his height... Solomon is considered to have been the richest man of his time. That as far as the riches of the East went in the 10th century BC, Solomon was the wealthiest man in the East. So Solomon owned a vineyard. It's a picture of, of lavishness, a picture of abundance. And he leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for his fruit 1,000 pieces of silver. That people are harvesting that vineyard and paying Solomon for it. That has gospel implications. <coughs> because Solomon is the king of peace. The king of peace has leased his vineyards to tenants to work it and then render the prophets unto him. I have my own vineyard. The 1,000 are for you, Solomon, but 200 for those who take care of its fruits. Because one thing Solomon seems to love doing 
is bringing the garden Im imagery into this, back to the garden with working it, with maintaining it, with taking care of its fruit. We see this back in Genesis 2. God placed Adam in a garden to work it. And then he gave him a helper. And they used their newfound freedom to disobey God. And that intimacy they had with each other was forever changed by that decision to doubt God and to base their actions on that doubt. But here, <clears throat> through the union and communion that Christ has with the church, we are being brought back to a garden to take to work it, to take care of its fruits. We're going back to how things ought to be. The words of the man. You who dwell in the gardens, companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. <clears throat> Referring to the bride who dwells in the gardens. In We've talked about he dwells among the lilies, and she dwells among the lilies. This is his natural environment. You who dwell in my home. Companions are listening for your voice. But let me hear you. That what Christ wants is to hear us. <clears throat> to delight in our presence. Not because of our own virtue, but because Christ has made us his. And the final words in the Song of Solomon. Verse 14. Run away with me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Come away with me, my love. And be like a gazelle or a young stag. These are ceremonially clean animals. These are animals that were clean according to Levitical law. So run with me, my love, and be like a clean animal, like something pure, something good, on the mountains of spices. It's noted earlier in the book as the mountains of frankincense and myrrh, which are spices that infer sacrifice, death. They are brought to Christ in Luke, in the book of Luke, when he is young. They are gifts for the child king. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the frankincense and myrrh point both to his birth, but also to his death. Because they were present, among other things, when they anointed his body for burial. And because of that burial, because of that death, and the fact that he didn't stay dead because he is God and there is an empty tomb we can run away with Christ on mountains of spices we can have union 
and communion with the King of Peace. And the King of Peace has given us rest. The ultimate promise of the Promised Land in the time of Moses was that they would rest and they would worship God. <clears throat> but because of their own disobedience, they did not enter that rest. So much so that it says in Hebrew in Psalm 95, I believe it is, I swore that they shall not enter my rest. But Hebrews 4 tells us that we who believe in Christ enter that rest. That there is still a rest to be found, a rest to be attained. And we who believe do go there. Because that is the union and communion with Christ that we have in Christ. And so as we close the book of Solomon, my encouragement is to run away with Christ. To find rest in Christ. Psalm 62, 1 says, I am at rest in God alone. He is my rock and my salvation. Run to Christ. Find rest. Run to Christ and find peace. Run to Christ for union and communion with the God who has made you his. Who has done all things necessary to bring you into his family forever. Where we will and when he does come back and he sets up the new heaven and the new earth, we will rest and we will worship him in his natural environment, in an environment where the sins that once tripped us and entrapped us and entangled us will not exist. So run to Christ today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless, Matthew 4.4.